Welcome to Flight Talk. Today, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonels Dave and Jeff will share with us how navigation in the winter calls for extra cautionary steps to ensure the safety of the planes and the passengers. Jeff's background is as a T-37 instructor pilot. He flew T-38s for four years with varied background in KC-135. He was a safety officer for many years and served as the Chief of Flight Safety for the Pacific Air Forces. Jeff has also done 30 years of Class A mishap investigations for the Air Force. He was also an aircraft accident investigation instructor and taught over 500 students from the U.S. and 60 allied nations. He is currently the safety advisor in the Air National Guard. Dave entered the Air Force in 1971 and graduated from pilot training in 1972. He flew the T-29 Convair for three years and graduated to the C-123K Provider, which he flew for four years. He then flew the C-130E Hercules for four years. For the next 17 years, he flew the C-5 Galaxy. Dave was the Chief of Wing Safety for over seven years at Westover Air Reserve Base, Massachusetts, until his retirement from the Air Force. He then served as an Aviation Safety Advisor to the Air Force Reserve Command for 11 years and is now in his sixth year as an Aviation Safety Advisor to the Air National Guard. Dave will first share his experience and the importance of making sure the plane is in good conditions before taking off. With the uh, you know winter approaching here from a seasonal standpoint, every season I think has it is a little different up here in the, in the Northeast. But uh, I remember a clear, a cold day in 1974 back at the Syracuse International Airport where I used to fly. I was a brand new aircraft commander, and uh, they were going to sort of give me the keys to the airplane. So I had a whole bunch of passengers on board, and I just turned. Tw- I was 26 years old at the time, and I worked for an elderly, uh, or at least it seemed to me, an elderly uh, lieutenant colonel who worked uh, in the office with me and. I was looking forward to the flight. My co-pilot that day was going to be a, an ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps instructor uh, from Cornell University. And I was really looking forward to it because uh, it, it was a beautiful day and I looked forward to flying. Pilots are like that. When I got there, he was a fast-talking Texan, uh, the old man. I'm going to refer to him as the old man now. He says, get out of here as fast as you can. You have classified material on board. Get out of here as fast as you can. You have classified material on board. He didn't even say, I don't remember him saying good morning to me. He just wanted me out of there. So we still had to do a flight plan. We still had to study the route. And so I was anxious to, to take off as soon as I could. So I studied the, the route and filed the, the flight plan along with uh, my co-pilot there. And uh, when we got to the airplane, they drove us out to the airplane. And there was uh, there was uh, a lot of ice uh, covering the airplane. And and the, uh, the the aircraft maintenance people were were using big space heaters to clear the ice off the wings, which is not <laughs> they almost never do that. That's to just make the air inside warm for people so they can be comfortable. Usually, anybody who's been in an airliner knows that they use this ethyl glycol type fluid that is uh, sprayed onto the airplane to get the ice off the airplane. And the airplane should not be flown with you know with ice on it. And the airplane had quite a bit of ice on it. And I couldn't get. Uh, out of my head the instruction to get out of there as fast as I could. So we got on the airplane and maintenance people all started to pack up their equipment and leave and I turned to the flight engineer and I said, hey, where's everybody going? He said, well, they they saw me get on the airplane and they figured their job was all done. I said, wow, <laughs> not so done. There's ice all over my wing, you know, and the co-pilot was over in the right seat where the co-pilot usually sits. He said, my wing's got a whole bunch of ice on it too. 
So they went and got out their space heaters and started started to uh, use them again. And I was still anxious to get out of there as fast as I could, as fast as I could, because he outranked me uh, quite a bit. And he was like that. He was he used to bark. He was used to barking out orders like that. So. The co-pilot said, hey, my wing's looking a little better. And after a while, I said, hey, my wing's looking a little better. We never did look at the tail, which is, of course, we should have looked at. And when my wings got a little bit clearer, I told him, yeah, I guess that looks okay to me. And the co-pilot said, yeah, I guess that looks okay to me. We started the engines, and we taxied out, and we took off into perfectly clear air, and we uh, raised, uh, raised the landing gear, and then, and then we raised the flaps, and then I picked up the normal climb speed of, of what they call, uh, an, an airplane usually has a, or most airplanes I flew has a recommended speed to climb at, at which to uh, fly the airplane in a climb, and it was 140 knots, which is a little more than 140 miles an hour. So folks that don't know that, you know, we, we use nautical miles per hour. And uh, when I picked up that normal climb speed, the airplane shook violently, even though the other two folks, the flight engineer and the co-pilot, they may not have realized why the airplane shook, but I sure did. It was approaching what they call an aerodynamic stall. <laughs> the ice on the airplane was disturbing the airflow, and it was no longer developing the lift that, it's, that it normally would develop at the normal climb speed. I increased the climb speed to 150 knots, and it kind of smoothed right out. But the other two folks said, well, I think we should bring the airplane back home again and have them look at it. There's something seriously wrong with it. And so I sort of agreed with that, and we came in and landed at a faster than normal airspeed, which I guess was the right thing to do, because we landed uneventfully. But uh, when we taxied into the, the the tarmac there, the whole world was out there waiting for me, including including the old man, and other uh, other folks were there too. And uh, when we taxied in and we shut the engines down and got out of the airplane, they we walked all around it, and they walked all around it, and. Uh, the fuselage was covered with ice, and there was ice all over the tail. Never should have taken off like that, but uh, we did. Next thing you know, I'm back into the flight planning room, and the old man sort of comes over to me and puts his hand on his on my shoulder and said, Hey, I did a pretty good job bringing it back in and all that. And no longer was he telling me to get out of there as fast as I could. He was... Now he's telling me to take all the time I need to make sure the airplane's completely cleaned off before we we take off. It's a good example of how this rank uh, intimidation, I guess it's called. Actually, it, it is called. It's rank uh, or position intimidation. That's a. It's a factor. It could be a factor in a mishap. We could have lost the airplane and, and could have killed everybody. And and he knew that uh, then. That's when the formal or informal authority gradient is is, is uh, too steep. In this case, it was too steep and uh you know for me and i i, I never was going to let that happen again i should have just transmitted from the airplane that hey the airplane's covered with ice we're not going to be able to get out of here as fast as we can i was surprised to see how nice he was to me because he knew what what almost could have happened that's a story there that's a, it's a learning experience there Jeff will now share his experience flying in the winter, specifically the importance of double-checking and the danger of assuming an airplane is clean. Dave, yeah, I was uh, stationed at uh, Fairchild, which is uh, in Spokane, Washington. And it's funny, people would say, oh, you're from Washington State, and they'd always assume it rains. Uh, but no, Spokane is on the eastern side of the state, and we don't—we didn't get the rain; we got the snow. 
And, you know, a lot of times you get the, the snow on top of the wing with the ice underneath it. As a young aircraft commander, I didn't really consider myself to be um, too smart on de-icing procedures. But I knew by looking at a wing whether we had to de-ice or not. And we were getting ready for a flight one day, and, and we had ice on top of the wings. And, and I'm looking at, looking at the overwing hatch, and I can see the ice. So I uh, called maintenance and asked them to come over and de-ice the airplane. The de-icing truck came over. It uh, laid down some de-icing fluid on the left wing, and then it went around to the right wing and laid de-icing fluid down on that and then drove off. <laughs> and, and in my mind, again, I'm not that familiar with de-icing, but in my mind it didn't seem like that was probably an adequate amount of time to de-ice the airplane. So I went and I looked out the overwing hatches, and I noticed that all they had done was blown de-icing fluid into the middle of the wing uh, on each side and then drove off. So, so I sat there and I, I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know, again, I'm not really that familiar with this procedure, but I know that wing isn't clean. And, you know, we talk about the clean airplane uh, concept when it comes to having no ice or snow uh, on the plane. So I asked maintenance to come back. And I, I, I turned to the co-pilot, and now, before this, I was used to flying out of Beale Air Force Base in uh, oh, California, yep. where we never, never de-iced. So as a co-pilot, I didn't really grow up de-icing airplanes. And then I went to Williams Air Force Base in Arizona and flew T-37s, where, needless to say, uh, it never snowed, and we never had to de-ice the tweets. So then I go to Fairchild. And I'm thrust into the – I'm in the left seat. So I turn to my co-pilot, and I go, hey, get the dash one out. Um, let's look up how to de-ice this airplane. Because if you look in your dash one, you're going to find procedures for how to de-ice the airplane. Uh, you know, put the horizontal uh, stabilizer, full leading edge up, you know, those types of things. And it's all, all dependent on the type of airplane. But yep. it's in there, and we really should be familiar with it. So I asked him to come back. They de-iced the airplane correctly this time, drove off. Uh, I looked out the overwing hatch. Uh, the, wing was, the wings were clean. We had done everything we were supposed to do with the horizontal stabilizer, and I knew they'd been back there because I couldn't see them for a while. And, and I made the assumption at that point that the airplane was clean. Uh-huh. And we were lucky because it was clean. But the lesson I learned in this especially by looking at the overwing hatch and seeing that the wing just had a clean spot in the middle of it, was don't assume that your airplane's been cleaned correctly. Uh, get out, you know, look, you know, look out any windows that you might have. Uh, have somebody get up in a cherry picker if they have to and look at the horizontal stabilizer. But one of the keys in this, and I started to educate myself after this, yep. and I found, found out about the holdover times with the icing fluids. And uh-huh. there is no universal holdover time because it depends on the de-icing, type de-icing fluid that you're using. It depends on the outside uh, air temperature. It depends on, on what's contaminating your wings. So I started to get smart on uh, holdover times. And, you know, there were a couple other things that jumped out at me uh, as I started to educate myself. And I think the one that really struck me the hardest, and this is something that I didn't realize, was that a thickness of frost or ice on the wings 
no thicker than a credit card, can increase the stall speed by upwards of 20 knots. Yeah, so those were those were all lessons learned. And the other thing I learned, too, from that was as the aircraft commander, uh, I wasn't happy with the jet. I wasn't happy with the de-icing. So I asked maintenance to come back and redo it. And that's one of the things is, as pilots, we get paid for. We get paid to make those decisions. So, again, don't assume it's been done correctly. Um, verify it. Because when you're talking about an increase of stall speed, which is what you experienced, Dave, in oh, 29, yeah. of upwards of, of 20 knots or so, depending on the contamination, your airplane's not going to fly. And the um, archives are full of mishap reports from airplanes that tried to take off with contaminated wings and didn't make it. Yeah. So, again, you know, lesson learned. And also keep in mind that de-icing fluid is not anti-icing fluid, okay? It's That's not right. going to prevent the accumulation of ice. All it's going to do is melt what's on there, go to the holdover time, and then the wing risks contamination again. So there's a lot of variables in play here. And, and like I say, as pilots, we get paid to know we get we get paid to know that information and and again never assume. Yeah, that's right. An airplane is not a you know magic carpet. It's a it's a machine. It obeys all the physical laws. If the airflow gets disturbed, you know <laughs> you're right. The stall speed increases even by a little even by a little bit of ice. Well, and and don't assume because one wing is clean that the other wing is clean. You know, you can have asymmetric contamination, which can cause an airplane to drop off on a wing when that wing stalls and the other wing doesn't. It's a, there's a delicate balancing act in there. And, again, don't assume that the airplane's clean. Know the holdover times. De-icing is not anti-icing. That's all true. Icing you can pick up in flight is not good if you pick it up with a, in a, a freezing rain type situation. <laughs> it can really accumulate on the airplane. And airplanes have um, limits on the icing conditions they can fly in. I don't think in the the tweet, if I remember correctly, we couldn't fly in anything more than light rime ice uh, or some oh. such thing. So when you got out there in the airplane and you were in the weather and you started to pick up ice and the 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 tweet had that long straight wing on it and it didn't have a whole, it didn't have a whole lot of thrusties. So there was always the option of climbing to sublime, mm-hmm. or in the tweet, the, probably the more proper option was descent. But climbing to sublime is another good procedure to try to, to try to get rid of ice. It seems counterintuitive, but used it in the T-37 a couple times. Yeah, in the LC-29, you know, if I actually picked up 150 knots and climbed up, like that, I think by the time we got over to New Hampshire, which is where the destination was, you know, it would be sublimating. You know, it would be, it would be there'd be less ice on the airplane, and uh, you know, the whole day would have gone apparently uneventfully. But it didn't fly at the speed it was supposed to fly at, so we brought it in. <laughs> well, good, uh, good, good situational awareness there on uh, recognizing the stall and increasing the speed. Uh, I sure knew. Uh, the other two people were kind of thinking it might be something else, but no, I knew exactly why the airplane wasn't flying the way it should. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lesson learned. And uh, even if the old man is 
telling you to leave, you know, you still need to have a good airplane before you leave. <laughs> yeah. And again, you get, uh, as a pilot, you get paid to make the decision on whether the airplane's good to go or not. That's all true. That's all true. So, I learned a lot that day, and uh, so did the old man, I think. Uh, he knew uh, he had a tendency to just push you without looking at the whole situation. <laughs> yeah. Combination of things. The normal ethyl glycol equipment was not working, and so they used a primitive way to try to get ice off the airplane, which wasn't that effective and, uh, you know, resulted in us taking off way later than we expected to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think those I don't think those air carts have any holdover time associated with them. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, Dave. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for your... Thanks for listening. Today, Dave and Jeff shared with us their expertise on the precautions necessary for air navigation in the winter. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Flight Talk, brought to you by Strategic Results. We hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you.